Hey, welcome to Life Church. We pray this blesses you and empowers you for your week ahead. We hope you enjoy this message. Today. Welcome everybody that's joining us online as well. Great to have you with us today. It's going to be a good day. Before I get into today, I just want to highlight what Aaron already highlighted, that um, Vision Month is coming up. We're really excited about that and uh, really excited about sharing with you what we feel God is telling us about our direction and what the, what the Spirit is doing right now in our midst. And so June the 4th is going to be an amazing Sunday. And all that month, we'll be sharing the good news of what God has been doing, reflecting, but also looking forward to where he's calling us to and what he's asking us to do as his body. So, uh, and then as part of that, at the end of the month, we'll be receiving, uh, a, we'll have a giving Sunday where we'll receive special one-off offering above our tithes and offerings. And just want to mention that now because I don't want anybody to feel uh, under fear or obligation or compulsion about that, but at the same time, it's good for us to be challenged to invest continually in what God is asking us to do. So really looking forward to that. It's going to be uh, brilliant. And um, hey, I'm just going to say it. The Spirit of God is stirring. There is a stirring in the Spirit. And I, I think it was at the end of last week. I can't remember. Maybe it was the week before. And I stood here and I said, God, would you give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it? And there is a momentum building in his spirit, and we felt it again this morning. And um, I'm not going to try and stand here and explain that to you. We're just going to keep going and believe we're going to see some amazing things in God. But let's be attentive to what he is doing. Amen? Uh, Well, we're in this series, the I Am series, looking at the, the I Am statements that Jesus said. Jesus said, I am And then he said seven different things, and we're taking some of those and looking at them, and they're all in the the Gospel of John, and Shirley did an amazing job last week of unpacking that uh, with us and teaching us not just about the meaning of I am the bread of life, but also teaching us the context of the book of John and helping us piece that together. And we are blessed to have such a great teacher in our house, like our lead pastor, Shirley James. It's amazing. One of the things I love that she pointed out to us was that as we look at, you know, there is a battle going on for identity right now. All across our society and in our own lives, uh, the world is looking to define you. I don't know if you realize that, but every time you go on Instagram or TikTok, every time you watch an advert, every time you see a billboard, every time you watch a movie, the world is seeking to mold you and shape you and give you an identity. But the truth is, your true life, your best life, the Bible tells us, is hidden in Christ. And so as we get to know Jesus more, we get to know more about ourselves. The more we know him, the more we know ourselves. And that's why it's really important we look at these statements, because if that's who Jesus says he is, then we have something to learn, because it then reflects on who we are to be. You'll have to forgive me, I am struggling with my voice a little bit today, but with God's help, we'll get through it. So, we're going to read this verse 
together from John 8, 12. We're all going to read it in a big, loud voice together because we don't do that very often when I thought it would be good to do it. So are we all ready? Here we go. It's John 8, verse 12. Let's read this together. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. So Father God, we thank you for your word. We just pray today that deep would call to deep, that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to our hearts. God, we want to be changed by the power of your spirit for your glory, God. Would you help us in our thinking, help us in our hearts today, help us to be attentive and changed by your word in the name of Jesus. Everybody said? Amen. 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 How many people would agree that context is important? If you put your swimming trunks on, and a snorkel, that's great at the beach, but not so good at a job interview. <laughs> Although having watched some of Eurovision last night, I'm a bit confused <laughs> as to what's appropriate and what's reality anymore. But anyway, <clears throat> context is really, really important. And if you think of it like this, if you get a, a, a jewel, you know, like we have, would have in a, in a diamond ring, if you take that diamond and you put it in the palm of your hand, I mean, it can look impressive, and you know it's expensive. When you look at it, um, it's not actually living up to its fullest potential, because what a jeweler would do is, that's why we set them, in, uh, set them in, a, in a crown inside a ring, because the idea of that is the setting is important, because it's the setting of the jewel that lets it truly shine. You get to see it in all its glory, in all its fullness, and the setting is really important. And so today, as we, we've just read this statement, which is already an amazing statement from Jesus, that I am the light of the world today, I want to talk about the context of that statement. I want to spend quite a bit of time talking about the setting of the statement before I get to the application of the statement. Now, don't worry, we are going to talk about how we apply this to our world, but before we try and apply it, I want us to understand the power of it because of its context and its setting. So I'm going to walk us through it. I'm going to go layer by layer, step by step. So if there was ever a day to take notes, just to help you stay with me, today is a great day to do that. Even if you never read those notes again, if it just helps you stay on course with me today, because I really want you to get this today. So we've got to understand that this scripture is written at party time. Oh yes, there's a party going on. That's where we find this. Now, we've got to consider the verse in light, not just of chapter eight, but of chapter seven, because that's actually where the story starts. And by deep theological study, I've found out that there was a party going on. Do you know how I know that? Because chapter seven is titled, The Festival of the Tabernacles, which guys, is a party. Okay, so there's a party going on, and that's the moment where we find ourselves. And this is one of the main festivals of the Jewish calendar. So at the time in Jerusalem, obviously you've got the Jewish community, and they would observe different festivals and feasts. They were relating back to the journey of the Israelites out of slavery, out of captivity, into the promised land. So a lot of the, these festivals were instituted by Moses in the heritage back in the day to remember what God had done in the past through God's people. So that's why these festivals existed. And this was one of the main festivals. 
And it's just amazing, though, and I, it's a little detour, but it's, it is just fascinating. This scripture is so rich because I can't, we can't help but notice when we look at the festivals that are pictures and shadows and silhouettes of, of, of what was to come because the Israelites, the people of God, coming out of slavery, out of captivity, and into the promised land is the exact same journey that Jesus has you on today. Jesus has brought you out of captivity and he's taken you into the the promised land and the fullness of what he has for you. And these festivals represent different elements. And just think about it for a moment. When did Jesus die on the cross? It was during the Passover. What is fascinating about the Passover, it was the time when they broke bread and drank wine just like we did today. That's the Passover. Why were they doing that? They were doing it to remember when um, the, the children of God were in captivity and God sent the angel of death and what they had to do was they had to get the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost so that death would pass over so they would be saved. So a lamb would die, the blood would be shed and they would be saved. That's the same time Jesus died. Jesus, the Lamb of God, his blood was shed so that people could be saved at the same time. It's amazing. Jesus' timing is amazing. And that's for somebody today. The timing of Jesus is totally intentional. Whatever you're going through, you can trust his timing. But knowing that about festivals, I wonder what the story behind this festival was today. This was like This was a big one, okay? This is an eight-day festival. That's an eight-day party, guys. There was was, uh, people coming, visiting. It would have been the talk of the town. Think Christmas, all right? All the shops are are, are decorated. You know, all the people are are finding the emergency chairs when all the family come around. You know, that's all happening. People are visiting. People are coming to Jerusalem for this really big party. And what they were celebrating was they were celebrating the time when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were in the desert and they were celebrating the provision of God when they were there. It was also called the Feast of the Booths. Why was it called the Feast of the Booths? Because the booths were like, they would build basically makeshift shelters and and tents and they would live outside. So it's basically like Glastonbury. That's what's going on. So just in my, everybody's gathered around, family have come over, there's eating, there's, there's partying going on, people are living outside in these, in the, there's less mud because more sand, but you know, the, the people are getting excited, there's a party going on, it's all across the city, you can't escape it, everybody knows about it. Now, this is where it gets interesting because Jesus he doesn't go to the festival at first. The Bible tells us that his brother said, are you going to go? And he said, no, but I might go later. And he goes a little bit later. Why? Because there was a lot of attention around Jesus. And, and he said, my time's not quite there. And, and he went in a little bit later, slightly undercover. But then he starts to say things that are really, really controversial. And they get an incredible reaction. And it's only when we dig into the meaning that we realize why. So, for example, part of the the celebration of this party and this big festival was the celebration of how God provided water for the people in the desert. So what they would do, there was a spring under the temple, and and every day as part of the festival, the priests would go down, there'd be like singing, there'd be a procession, there'd be a celebration. They had a golden flask 
They would carry the, I know it's a little bit weird, go with me. They had this golden flask. They would go down to this spring that ran out from under the temple, waters coming out from the temple of God. They would gather this water and celebrate, and they would all sing, probably do the conga. I don't know, but they would go back. That's just me. I'm not sure about that. But they, they, they would go back to the temple, and then they would pour that water on the altar of God, and they would all celebrate. It was a, a, a real celebration. That would be poured out. And the gate that they came through in Jerusalem, in the temple, was called the water gate. And that was all about this. Now, Jesus, as I said, had arrived halfway through. He'd been to the court. He'd started preaching. He'd drawn a crowd. Some people had tried to, you know, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to get him arrested. But he was, they tried to seize him, but they didn't. And in the moment of this, while this water drawing festival is going on, Jesus stands up in John 7, 37, On the last day, so we've had eight days of this, the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. How cool is that? Jesus knew what he was saying, who he was saying it to, and where he was saying it. He's saying, I know you're talking about this water that is flowing out of the temple. He's like, there's water flowing out of this temple. And so that's why it causes such an outrage. And as a result of that, some people were saying, and that's, some people were saying, oh, he's a prophet. And others went straight to, he's the Messiah. It seems a bit strange, doesn't it, to jump to, he's the Messiah, from somebody saying, come to me and I'll quench your thirst. It's because they knew the language. They knew the significance of what he was saying. They'd they'd watched eight days of this procession of water, and then Jesus says, you've seen the water flowing out. The water's coming out of me, and it can be inside you. So they, they were stood back going, wow, this guy is the Messiah. But it wasn't just about the water. The other part of the festival was, and why they were camping out, was about his guidance and leading, because not only did God provide for his people in the desert, But while he guided them, during the day there was a pillar of cloud, and at night there was a pillar of fire. That was their guidance. That was the light. And so, during this celebration, what they would do, they would get four huge candelabras. They would set them up around the temple in specific places in the temple. They were so big that historians tell us that Everybody in the city knew when they were being lit. They'd probably bring in a minor celebrity, you know, to do the turning on of the candles. I don't know. But they would light the candles, and everybody in the city would be aware. The candles have been lit. The light is shining. They would sing, and they would dance. There would be this light over the city. And I want us to understand that is the context that we read the statement of Jesus. Because when did Jesus say, I'm the light of the world? Jesus said it. John 8 verse 1 says, the next day at dawn. So we've just read the end of chapter 7 where it says it's the last day of the festival. And now it says the next day, (coughs) excuse me, the next day at dawn, where does he say it? Well, we know from John 8, 20 that he's in the temple courts. We know that it's a part of the temple where the women can meet and we know it's near the treasury. Now if you plot that in the temple, that puts him right in front of the candelabras. He is stood 
right in front. So everybody, just as you're looking at me, they would be looking at Jesus. And behind him are these huge candelabras that for eight days have burned bright and illuminated the city. And now the light that man made that represents the past has gone out. Probably the smell of the burning is still in the air. There might be wisps of smoke drifting up from it. The extinguished light is gone. The celebration is over. And now, in that moment, Jesus stands up with that as his backdrop in full view of everybody and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life because he is the light. He is the guide. He's the one who should be celebrated and rejoiced over, not the light of the past. He is the light of the present. He's the light that leads. He's the light that guides. He's the one who dispels darkness. He's the one who lights up the darkness. He's the light that will always shine, a light that will push back in the darkness. And that's why John 1 verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I just want to say to you today, whatever darkness you feel is overcoming you, whatever darkness is coming against you today, Jesus is the light. Nothing can stand against his light. Nothing can stand, no matter how intense the darkness feels, no matter how overwhelming that darkness feels, Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world, the light that can never be put out. And this statement was so shocking. Why? Because in, in Jewish understanding, light and dark represented basically good and evil. When you talked about light, that imagery automatically went to, he's talking about God. They would have been aware of scriptures, for example, like in Genesis 1, 3, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Have you ever noticed there was light, but there was no sun or moon yet? Hmm. That's crazy, isn't it? There was light, but there was no sun or moon yet. And later we can read, if I haven't got time, but in Revelations 21, 23, it talks about how the world, the new heaven, will be lit with just his glory. That's the context that he says. So when he says, I am the light of the world, they hear him saying, I am God. They hear him standing up going, everything you just celebrated everything you just had a huge party about, all the remembrance of how God moved a nation of people from slavery into freedom, Jesus says, that's me. He's the one that was there in the beginning. He's the one who will be there at the end. This is a shocking statement. So with that understanding, and I hope that helps shine some light on the scripture, I want to give you three practical outworkings of this. First one is this. He is the light of salvation. Why do we say that? Because he is God. When he said, I am the light, he was saying that he was the son of God. He's the one that came to lead us out of darkness. There is no other light. There is no other path we can follow out of spiritual darkness. Isaiah said, of him that people that walked in the darkness have now seen a great 
light. It had to be Jesus. It had to be the perfect Son of God to pay for our sins. And that's why a few verses later, in John 8, 24, Jesus says in the same passage, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Jesus is saying, I've come to light the way. It's me, guys. This is it. I am he. Follow me and you will find your freedom. Unless we accept him, we can't walk in the light. And at the end of the service, we'll give an opportunity, as we always do, for you to accept that and receive that and to walk in the light that Jesus gives us. He provides the spiritual light. The truth is, we live in a spiritual world. There is a spiritual reality to our world. But when we walk in this light, it's like in his light, it's like the clouds are lifted. We walk in his light. And, and I love it where it says, we'll never walk in darkness. That, that word there, never, means never, ever, 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 ever. It's like the strongest expression. There's lots of different words that could have been used there. But it's the strongest expression to say, once you have Jesus, you cannot walk in darkness. You can experience darkness. You can walk into a dark place. But you will always have the light of Jesus. No matter how far gone you think you are, no matter how far from his path you think you've strayed, you will always have his light. He is the light. And that's why I love Colossians 1.13 makes a lot of sense for it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We were in darkness. We couldn't see truth with our spiritual eyes. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. No, into the kingdom of the sun. Because the sun is the light. He's the one who lights the way. So first point is he is the light of salvation. That's exciting, and that is worth thanking Jesus for. Come on. He is the light of our salvation. I warn you, the next point hurts a bit more than the first one, though. Because the second point is this, that he is the light of transformation. He didn't just die to save us so that we just stay as we are and then make it to heaven. He died and now lives so that in us so that we can be transformed by him. Just think back to that verse that I read briefly in Genesis. In the beginning, earth was formless or empty or void and without light. It was formless, it was empty, and it was dark. But when the light comes in, what happens? The light brings order out of chaos. The light fills the void. It fills the emptiness. And the light pushes back and banishes the darkness. That's what happens when the light of Jesus is on the inside of us. How many people would like some, some chaos to turn into order in their world? That's what Jesus does. He brings order. He, he allows what was empty to be filled. Any emptiness that you have today, he can come and he can fill that. He banishes the darkness, even when the dark feels so dark, his light pushes back the darkness. And it's that chapter, where we, that verse that we read where he says, I am like anyone who follows me, we've got to follow him. We've got to follow in his light because his light transforms. It brings the order. It fills our emptiness and enables us 
to see. I want to anchor it in another scripture for you, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, listen to this, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from our own really hard work. No, it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And that's why we cry out for the Spirit of God. There's things our city face, there's things that we face. We can't do it in our own strength. We need the Spirit of God to break in. This, this verse is written about Moses. If you remember in the Old Testament, Moses climbs a, a mountain to receive the commandments and he spends time with God and his face comes down shining with the glory of God. People could tell he'd been with Jesus. Here's my question. Can people tell that you've been with Jesus? When you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to college, when you go to the factory floor, when you go to the office, can people tell that you've been with Jesus? Because the whole idea is that the light that Jesus came, came to transform us. And there are some times, and this is the uncomfortable bit, where we need to get uncomfortable before God, because what light does is it dispels darkness. So when there's something in our life and the light of God is shining in us and we're spending time with him and he's transforming us, what happens is it highlights dark areas in our lives. It highlights prejudice. It highlights attitude. It highlights habits. It highlights thoughts that aren't of him. It highlights these things. And there's two ways we can go with this. What the enemy would love to do is make you feel condemned about that and go under the weight of that. What Jesus does is say, no, I want to bring light into that darkness. I don't want you to go down under that. And our temptation is that I'm just going to bury it. I'm going to hide it. I'm not going to tell anybody about it because that's shameful and I'll feel guilty about it. Listen, all those words are nothing to do with Jesus. And what I love, check out this symmetry, that just before he says this, at the start of chapter 8, we're confronted with a, a moment where a woman is caught in the act of adultery. And they bring her before Jesus to try, and they said, Jesus, she should, be, she should be stoned. She should be stoned to death because she was in adultery. And he bends down, he starts to write in the sand, and we don't know what he wrote, but he says to them, go on, whoever's without sin, then you cast the first stone. And one by one, oldest first, the men just disappear. And then he says to the woman, Okay, where, where are your accusers? Did nobody condemn you? And she says, there's, there's nobody left here, Rabbi. And he says, well, I don't condemn you. And she goes. And I think that story's there for a purpose because Jesus is saying, when the light comes into your life, he's not there to condemn you because Jesus doesn't condemn you. He sets you free. But we've got to allow the light in. We've got to allow the light in, although it's painful, allow the light into that part of our life which we're not proud of. Allow the light into that part of our life that, that is going to change us because that's the idea. We're to be changed by him for his glory. I loved some of these testimonies that we heard when we had baptisms and we don't know what to do sometimes. Do we? God, I just need to grow. I just want to be better. I just want to put that down. I just want to stop having that attitude. Just allow him in. 
Allow the light in because the promise is that we will be transformed. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light that transforms you. So let the light in and allow him to transform you. So he's the light of our salvation. He's the the light of our transformation. But he's also the light in you. You are being transformed. We just read it. But you are being transformed for purpose. To bring him glory. Not just so that we can shine for ourselves, but to shine for the world around us. We are called, I'll read it again, 2 Corinthians 3.18, look at the start of it. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. Now in your translation it might say behold as in a mirror. If you look in the footnote it says all the word reflect and I think it's fair to use that when we look at the context of Moses so I'm going to go with that. But we're being transformed but it's as we reflect his glory. As we spend time with God we reflect his glory. We reflect his goodness. And then Jesus goes one step more because remember Jesus has just said I am the light of the world. Well, he seems to contradict himself here because in my Bible, in Matthew 5, 14, it says, you are the light of the world. Well, hang on a minute, Jesus. You just said you're the light of the world. Now I'm the light of the world? Yeah. Because as we spend time with Jesus, we reflect his light. Look at this. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, and put it under a bowl. I looked up the word bowl in the original language. Do you know what that word means? Bowl. Because <laughs> I thought, it's a stupid thing to say, isn't it? Nobody puts a light under a bowl. Well, duh. So I'm like, there must be more to that. I looked at every translation I could. Every... It means bowl. Nobody puts a light. It's almost like Jesus going, nobody puts a light under a bowl. And I think he said, don't, why would you do that? It's crazy. But yet we try and do it. We try and hide our light. God's saying, that's, that's not the purpose. You are called to shine. You are called to shine. No, you're going to be put on a stand so that it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father listen to me you are the light of the world you every single one of you we are the light of the world called to illuminate this world we can't be hidden here's the great thing the light doesn't come from us I can't be a light in the darkness. It's all because, you know, you don't know what I've done and what's happened and I don't know that much and I don't have all the answers and I still fail in this area. I, I don't read anywhere in the word where that disqualifies you. Because you're not trying to emanate a light of your own. You're simply called to reflect Him. The God that you know, that's what we're called to do. We're called to spend time with him so that our faces shine with his glory when we step into the world. I'm going to dim the lights for a moment. 
Someone you can go, ooh, if you want. Yeah. I'm going to light this candle. I'm sure we've seen this picture before or, or thought about this, but I just wanted to go there again because it's really important we understand this. Darkness is defined by absence. Darkness is not a thing in and of itself. It is simply the absence of something. But the light is about presence. We live in a dark world, but the answer is his presence. And that's why the Bible tells us that there's a light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out because here's the cool thing. There is no battle going on here. That candle is not trying to push back darkness. There's a lot of darkness in this room, but this candle is not fighting against it, going, oh, I'm going to push back the darkness and any minute now, like some big arm wrestle that's going on, the candle might give in or the darkness might win. The darkness can't win. It can't. There's a light that shines in the darkness. And listen, the darkness cannot put it out. It can't. It's against the laws of nature. The darkness, if you've got a light on in your house and you open the front door, the, the, the darkness doesn't come in and make all your lights darker. It, it can't. The darkness cannot put it out. And what I want to show you is, no matter how small this light is, the darkness doesn't stand a chance. Can't compete. Why? Because light wins. Every time. Light wins. And the reason I say that is because you may feel your light is so small. You may think I'm the only Christian in my workplace. Some of you think, I think I'm the only Christian in my profession. But your light is making a difference. The only thing that can put the light out is you. By hiding it under a ball. Or by you extinguishing it yourself. If you will allow yourself to be illuminated by God, your light will shine in the darkness. Let's put the lights up again. Thank you. What I want to say to you is this. Let the light in and let the light out. He's the light of your salvation, but he's the light of your transformation. But he is the light in you. And he has called you, every single one of us, to go into our worlds and be the light. And he's called us as a church to be a light. He's called us as a church to be a city on a hill, a light in the darkness in this city. But if we're not careful, we give, that gives corporate responsibility to just us as the church. But you are the church. He has called you to be a light in this city. No matter how dark the world feels around you, I want to encourage you, keep shining for him. Keep shining for him. Because it is bringing him glory. And that's how fires start. 
when embers start to burn in multiple places, that's how fires start. You know, that's how we see these horrendous wildfires, don't we, that start uh, around our world. We see them in Australia and in America, and often they just start with something so simple, like a bit of glass that's been left on the floor or a small ignition, little lights all lighting up, but they turn into a huge fire. And I'm believing, as we said at the start, the Spirit of God is moving. So every time we meet to pray, every time we meet as a life group, every time we meet as a youth group or a YA or Thrive or wherever we are as women, as men, God's doing something in the midst of us. But he's doing something in your accountancy office. He's doing something in your architect's practice. He's doing something on your shop floor. He's doing something in your school. But we have to allow him to work in us and through us. Jesus is the light of the world. Let's let the light in and let the light out. Come on, let's pray together. Let's stand, let's stand to our feet as we pray and the team are gonna lead us in this song as we consider this. Jesus, we look to you, our light and our guide. We thank you, Jesus. Where would we be without you? You are the light of our salvation. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the light that is transforming us from the inside out, that there's no condemnation in you, that you are changing us for your glory. And Jesus, we want to pursue after you afresh to be touched and changed by you. And Father God, we just pray that as we surrender to you, as we shine for you, that we would shine bright in this city all across this region that your light would be seen that we would be used by you to bring a revival to see hearts change to see lives change to see your glory come to see your kingdom come and your will be done thank you God that you use us as ordinary people with all our fears and failures and flaws, and yet by your grace and your mercy and by the power of your Spirit, you have called us to change this city, to change this nation for you. So we stand in the light of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We pray you feel encouraged by this word. We would love to hear from you, so why not connect with us via the website at lifechurchhome.com or on our socials at Life Church Home. Have a blessed week and we'll see you soon.